We don't rent pigs. We don't rent pigs. This was a line on the sign of the Hat Creek Cattle Company, owned and operated by Captains Augustus McRae and Woodrow F. Call, retired Texas Rangers who decided to drive a herd of cattle from the border of Texas and Mexico down in a little town called Lonesome Dove, all the way up to a place called Montani. Along the way, Captain Call complains to Gus about the sign that he had made for their company. We don't rent pigs. And if that ain't bad enough, you got all them Greek words on there too. Well, Gus snaps back and says, I told you, Woodrow, a long time ago, it ain't Greek, it's Latin. Woodrow asks, well, what does it say, that Latin? And Gus says, well, it's a motto. It just says itself. And then he tries to read the Latin incorrectly. Yovaro, yovarum fit, but call interrupts and says, you have no idea what it says. You found that in some old book or something. For all you know, it invites people to rob us. To which Gus jabs back and says, well, the first man that comes along that can read Latin is invited to rob us as far as I'm concerned. I'd like the chance to shoot at an educated man once in my life. The sign reads, Uva uvam vivendo veria fit. And roughly translated, it means one grape changes or ripens when it sees another grape. The whole story of Lonesome Dove is hidden in that Latin phrase. It means one man matures another. Or we would say with the Hebrew Proverbs, iron sharpens iron. Well, I thought of this scene after I sent out the pro tip for this past week. And I know that you all diligently read the emails and messages we send you. But just in case you missed this one, I used a little bit of Latin in that. Not because I know Latin, which I don't. I know just enough to be dangerous, as all seminary students will say. So like Gus, I only know a handful of phrases, and I don't know them very well. But this is one that captures my imagination. Lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. Rule of prayer, rule of faith, rule of life. And basically what it means is the way we worship shows what we believe and shapes how we live. The way we worship shows what we believe and shapes how we live. Lex orendi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. Our life story is hidden in this Latin phrase. Prayer is foundational to our faith and our works. Prayer is basic to our spiritual formation. And it is in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus teaches us directly about prayer. He teaches his disciples and crowds of people who were once afflicted by diseases and oppressed by devils and crushed by debt and racked with disabilities. He teaches those who were poor in spirit, the meek, the hungry, and the thirsty, the persecuted, those that he called the light of the world and the salt of the earth, 
He teaches those people, looks at them straight in the face, and teaches them to lift up their hearts and lift up their hands to heaven in prayer. And he says, when you pray, keep it secret. Go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, keep it short. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The heartbeat of Jesus' teaching on prayer is found in the Lord's Prayer. In Latin, it is called the Pater Noster, and in Spanish, El Padre Nuestro. It is only in English that we separate the Father out, call it the Lord's Prayer, but everyone else refers to it as the prayer to the Father. It is in conjunction with this Lord's Prayer that Jesus teaches that our prayers, our asking, our seeking, our knocking, are the lifeblood that flows out of the heartbeat of the Lord's Prayer. And what I want you to see is what Jesus is doing as he builds his teaching on prayer for our life. He is teaching his followers to adopt a rule of prayer. Not prayer in and of itself, but as a means to an end. He wants us to adopt a rule of prayer so that we can adapt to the life that the Father has given us in his house as his adopted children. He wants us to enjoy a relationship with our Father. And that might sound so trite and simple, but it is the truth of what Jesus is saying. He doesn't want us to look at the Father as some sort of cosmic vending machine that gives us what we ask for every time we punch in a certain number of prayers. He doesn't want us to be consumers when it comes to the Father and just constantly ask him to give us goodies and treats. He wants us to seek the face of the Father. And so since prayer is the way we commune with the Father, Jesus is showing us the way. This is the way that we come to know the Father and to interact with him as his children. Lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. Prayer is foundational to our faith and our works. Prayer is basic to our spiritual formation. And so to a crowd of people that might not have known that they could get their needs met by praying rather than begging and pleading, by praying without laying it on thick or wearing God down with many words, but just by praying, Jesus says to them, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And the very next word is so important because it includes all of us. Everyone. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. 
Everyone, not just the super religious, everyone, not just the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests, everyone, not just your pastors and clergy, but everyone who asks receives. Why? Because the Father loves and cares for his children. Everyone who asks the Father, everyone who seeks the Father's face, everyone who knocks on the Father's door will be welcomed by the Father. He will respond to everyone who asks, seeks, and knocks. St. Augustine saw this teaching of Jesus not as three words describing one way of praying. He saw these, this way of teaching or Jesus' teaching as three distinct ways of praying as we make our spiritual journey of ascent, as we move from earth up to heaven. And here's how he did it. I'm summarizing his, his statement. It starts with you asking for help or for healing. Our Father, who art in heaven, help me, heal me. And once your Father has answered that initial prayer, then he expects you to do something with the new life he's given you, with the new body, with the new heart, new soul that you have. Augustine would put it this way crudely, use it or lose it. So crawl, walk, run, limp towards the Father's house, but move. Get on this journey from earth to heaven. In order to do that, you need to find the way. So you need to seek for the road that leads up to the Father's house. As Jesus would say, above all else, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And once you find that road, you stay on that road. Stay the course on that narrow road that leads through the narrow gate up to the Father's glorious house. And how do you do that? You follow directions from the Spirit and from the Word. There's a warning. If you turn back, if you turn aside, if you stop seeking the Father's face and decide you don't want to make it to His house, you will not find what you started out looking for. You'll get lost, you'll find the wrong things, and you'll never reach the right destination. So stay on the narrow road until you go through the narrow gate up to the Father's house. And when you finally reach the Father's house, you must knock on the door. Not timidly, but boldly, like you belong there. Like you belong there, because you do belong there. And when you knock on the door, your Father who is in heaven, who has been expecting you all along, will open the door to you, and he will welcome you into his home and seat you at the table at the place he's prepared for you, and you will sit with him and enjoy gazing upon his face and he upon your face for all eternity, for his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. In other words, Augustine wants us to know what Jesus was teaching is this, that your life with the Father begins with you asking, continues with you seeking, and finally ends with you knocking, and when he receives you in, you reach the ultimate goal of your prayer, which is the beatific vision, communion with God, face-to-face -face glory with the Father.
Son, and Holy Spirit. Ask, seek, and knock. Now, to drive in his point, Jesus appeals to our personal experience. I should say our parental experience. He knows that there are moms and dads in the crowd. He knows there are kids milling about. And so he says to them, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? He's expecting everyone to say, none of us would do that, right? It's a, these are rhetorical questions. Although, knowing some of you, I can see how you might think, well, I would totally do that to my kid. Maybe on April Fool's Day or around Halloween, trick-or-treat, something like that. And I would say, props to you, Dad. Great job. But ordinarily speaking, you wouldn't do this sort of thing when your kid comes in hangry, because they didn't eat breakfast or lunch and they forgot about those sort of things. They say, give me bread. If only it were that simple. Give me bread. And you say, no, eat a stone. We would never do that. We would never do that. And Jesus's point is that none of you would do that. And since none of you would do that, and you're not as holy and good as the father, why would you expect the father to be that way towards you? Martin Luther said, God knows that we are timid and shy and that we feel unworthy to present our needs to God, that we think that God is so great and we're so tiny that we do not dare to pray. And that is why Christ wants us or wants to remove our doubts and to have us go ahead and pray confidently and boldly. You notice that throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does something. It almost seems subtle if you don't think about it. But he's constantly directing our attention to the Father. Have you noticed this? He constantly directs our attention to the Father again and again and again. Why does he do that? He's doing it because he wants us to feel and to know that the Father loves us and cares for us and sees us and rewards us and delights in us. This is so hard for some of us to believe, maybe because of some bad experience you might have had with your father. But God the Father is not like your father, unless your father is somehow reflective of God the Father in all the good and loving ways. Jesus is wanting us to cultivate a relationship with the Father because the Father has adopted us into his family. The trouble is we have been burned so many times by so many people and sometimes even by parents that we imagine that God the Father is just like all the rest of the people that have played games with our hearts, that have strung us along, and that have failed to deliver what they promised. This reminds me of a story from my youth. I told the first service that I was reluctant to share this story, and I might live to regret it, but since the cat's out of the bag, here we go. Back in the day, when I was a wannabe greaser punk in high school, I saw this really cute girl who was also a wannabe punk in my high school. She was the totally awesome, vintage, 80s, cool girl in our school. 
If you know, you know, right? Bleach blonde hair, shaved on one side, little checker pattern, combat boots, you know, that sort of thing. It took me a couple of days to pluck up the courage to finally talk to her, and I thought, I can do this. And so I went over to talk to her. And some of you think, well, what's the big deal? Why'd you wait so long? And if I could just get eyes on some of these folks uh, for moral support here, um, I just want to say that there is nothing more intimidating in the whole world than walking up and talking to a teenage girl, cold turkey, okay? You laugh nervously, you don't laugh. Maybe some of you didn't laugh because you don't want to be exposed, but you all know the truth about this. So, finally pluck up the courage and I meet this girl. Introduce myself. My name is, your name is. So we chat, we talk about music, favorite bands. What do you like? Who do you hang out with? Where do you go? What movies do you like to eat? All these sort of things. The bell rang to end lunch. And I knew I was running out of time. My courage is beginning to fail me. And so I say, hey, can I have your number? We can, I can call you later. She says, yeah. But first you have to follow me to my locker and walk me to my next class. No problem. So I follow her against this sea of humanity called students at Mesquite High School. And we make our way up the stairs. And I'm fighting to keep up. Where is she going? We finally get to her locker. And when we arrive, there are two girls standing there. Dressed like her, so I know they got to be friends. It makes me nervous. She opens her locker. She begins to rummage around. But when she opened the locker, the door was right between my face and hers. When she closed the locker, I could see her friends glaring at me. This is not good. And then this girl looks at me and says, what do you want? I said, you told me to follow you up here to get your number. And she goes, whatever. And I think if I could read between the lines, she was saying, gag me with a spoon, something like that. <laughs> and she and her friends laughed and walked off. And I tell you, it was in that moment that I decided that I am going to homeschool my future kids. <laughs> Ask, seek, and knock. And your spiritual ascent to the Father will not end with shame and embarrassment. It will not end with a dismissive wave of the hand or with the whatever. This is not how the father treats his children. Jesus says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He wants us to see that the father delights in us, that the Father dotes on us, that the Father wants to give good gifts to us. Lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. The way we worship shows what we believe and shapes how we live. Prayer is foundational to our faith and our works. Now, I have known this for most of my Christian life, and I've certainly known this for the vast majority of my ministry, but I regret to confess that I have not always practiced this. I live with many regrets, both as a parent and a pastor, as you can imagine. But my biggest regret is this, that I did not teach my children 
or the congregations I've served in the past to pray. I preached about prayer. I taught on prayer. I read books about prayer. I talked about prayer. I even prayed on occasion. But my theology of prayer was more theory than practice. And you know what the Lord's brother James says about that, don't you? Faith without works is dead. So who cares if you have a systematic theology of prayer if you don't pray? It'd be better to pray and not know what you were doing than to know what you're doing and not pray. So in some ways, my reluctance to pray, my resistance to prayer, revealed a sort of functional atheism that was at work in my own heart, a bitter cynicism at work in my life. I didn't know that, and I didn't always think of it in that way, but a wise old professor at my seminary a dozen or so years ago is the one who diagnosed me in this way. And he wasn't wrong. And I determined then and there in his office to repent and to remedy this problem going forward, God helping me. And so over the past several years, I've made some necessary changes in my own life, my own prayer life. And now I'm inviting you to do the same, just in case any of you happen to be functional atheists the way I was. I'm inviting you to join me in cultivating a spiritual discipline, observing a rule of life, a rule of prayer. And since I wouldn't ask you to do something that I am not willing to do, when you get home and check your email today, you'll find some prayer guides that are very basic. These are guides that have helped me along the way over the last few years, and I hope that they will help you at least get a start. And I want you to know that if you follow this rule of prayer, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you in ways that you cannot possibly imagine from where you are sitting at this moment. Now, I've not always practiced what I preached, but what about Jesus? Did he practice what he preached? And the short answer is yes, of course he did. But how did he do it and how do we know? Well, we know because the scriptures tell us that Jesus prayed after his baptism in the Jordan River when the spirit descended upon him and the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He prayed during his trials in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. He prayed on the Mount of Transfiguration and the appearance of his face was changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And this is significant because this is what happens when we pray. We are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Jesus prayed alone in lonely places and he also prayed with others in public spaces. He prayed to his father in times of sorrow, and he prayed to his father in times of joy. He prayed for newborn babies and little children and placed his hands on them and blessed them. He prayed at the temple, and he called the temple a house of prayer for all nations. 
And not to get too far afield here, but I want to emphasize that when Jesus thought about the temple, he did not think of it as a house of praise and worship. He did not think of it as a house of preaching. It was a house of prayer for all nations because the Father is seeking to commune with his children. So let that soak in for a bit. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane with loud cries and tears, asking the Father if it were possible to let this cup pass from him. But he added, Nevertheless, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He prayed for forgiveness of sins on the cross. Not for himself, but for people like us who have sinned against him. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And last, but certainly not least, he prayed from the cross the prayer that many of us have prayed, perhaps in the darkest of nights, perhaps in the hospital ward, perhaps in the midst of some agony or trial. My God, why? My God, why? And when he reached the end of the narrow road and passed through the narrow gate and came up to the door of the father's house, he knocked and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And you know what happened next? The door was opened. And the father welcomed him home and said, well done, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. The father opened the door and was standing there to receive him. If Jesus was compelled by love for his father to commune and converse with him like this again and again and again through the course of his life, how much more should we strive to ask and seek and knock in prayer like this? Not just to gain things for ourselves, but to gain access to the father, to commune with him, to be in his presence, to spend time with the one who loves us most in all the world. How much more should we pray like this? Jesus practiced what he preached so that we can do the same. Lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. The way we worship shows what we believe and shapes how we live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. God, our Father, let us continue on this narrow road to find the narrow gate and to reach your heavenly home. Let us come to you. Our hearts are often cold. Warm them with your selfless love. Our hearts are sinful. Cleanse them with your son's precious blood. Our hearts are weak. Strengthen them with your joyous spirit. Our hearts are empty. 
Fill them with your divine presence. O Father, our hearts are yours. Possess them always and only for yourself. Do this for the sake of your Son, by the love of your Spirit. Amen.